spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Spring has sprung and the smell of con season is in the air. That's right, it's episode 257 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Not only that, we've got season finales for TV coming up. How about season premieres as well? Season 2 of Happy going to be premiering on Sci-Fi on March the 27th. So how about we talk to Lily Morojnik? On the show this week about everything that's going to be going on in that season two premiere. Talk about a little bit about season one as well. Plus, we're speaking of sci-fi, we're going to be talking about the season one finale of Deadly Class and going to introduce you to a brand new sponsor on the show this week. So excited to talk to you about that. But it's time to talk about comics first. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Greg Rucka, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Pull out the laptop or the tablet. Of course, you could always open up the long box. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading, and it's also time for the return of Lazarus from Image Comics. As a matter of fact, this time it's Lazarus Risen, written by Greg Rucka. Michael Lark get on the art once again. A little bit of help there from Taylor Boss as well. Santi Arcas on the colors and Simon Bolin on the letters. Now, I want to set the stage for you a little bit. As a matter of fact, on imagecomics.com, they kind of tell you where we're at in Lazarus if you're a fan or if you're trying to pick this up from Lazarus Risen. And Greg Rucka says basically we're now in X plus 68, year X plus 68. And that's two years since Joanna and Forever kind of made their deal in the last arc, which was the Cull arc. So now there's been two years of war and the Carlisle family is not doing very well in the war. And basically now you're getting a different Forever as well. You know, they've made the deal for her to kind of you know, have her own free will, and she's been battling and fighting for a couple of years now, and Joanna's kind of been at the head of the family for a while, and things are kind of a little bit different there now, and this sets the stage, actually, for a really, really intense beginning of this issue. Now, I know I do, I do these reviews spoiler-free, and let me tell you, it's going to be really, really difficult to talk about this without giving you spoilers. So I'll just kind of set the stage a little bit. I mean, there's a huge move by the Carlisle family at the beginning of this book. I mean, it's an eye-opening power move that's not necessarily going to sit well with everybody. That much I can tell you for sure. Now, things seem actually pretty good between Joanna and Forever right now in this beginning of this issue, but Forever's still kind of waiting for one of the promises that Joanna made to come true. Now, as we kind of fast forward through this, we also get a look at Eight, which of course, forever. Eight, if you're a fan of Lazarus, you know what I'm talking about, who's kind of grown up, well, definitely grown up a bit more, and we do get a little bit of insight also into Bethany, who's kind of, you know, kind of the head of the lab there, and it turns out she's been holding on to something mentally for a long, long time, and finally gets to let it out, and it's a, I mean, you want to talk about a huge burden weighing on somebody's mind. I mean, if you don't like Bethany, I understand. Even just from reading this book alone, if you don't like her, I get it. But finding out what she's been holding on to in her, in her head for this long, it's pretty intense. And I got to tell you, I certainly felt for her in that moment. If if only briefly, I certainly felt I certainly felt for her there. Now, it's too soon to tell if this is going to lead to a revelation or a breaking point for her because honestly, from what I could see, it could really, really go either way. So interested to see where that's going to go. Now, Forever ends up actually going on another mission for the family, but, you know, it's these things are hardly ever as they seem, right? And that's the best I can really do to sum it up for you without spoiling a whole lot. But there's a lot of intrigue in this, and we get to really get a deep dive into the Carlisle family right away in this first issue and what their plans are, what they think they need to do going forward. But trust and loyalty are clearly a huge part of this issue. From the beginning all the way through to the end, that's what you have to figure out, is who can be trusted, who can't, whose loyalties lie where, and how deep are those loyalties are the biggest things that I got 
out of this first issue of Lazarus Risen. But, I mean, that's really not all because, I mean, it might be too soon to kind of choose sides, though, especially with the two-year time jump. And there's, there's probably a few more gaps that we need to fill in throughout this run a little bit. Now, Forever does have free will now, but does she really? That was another question that I asked when I was reading this. Does Forever really have what she wants or not? Because it seems like that may or, that might not be the case. As far as I'm concerned, anyway, I don't know how you're going to feel about it once you read this, but I, it's definitely subjective. It depends on your perspective, I guess, especially given what happens at the end and you know how that might have come to pass in this first issue when you see it you'll know what I'm talking about it's like okay that seems a little bit like something wasn't right there that's that's all I can really say without spoiling anything now as far as Lark's art is concerned I mean it's it's still stunning as ever I mean especially this opening sequence there are so many pages on in this first book there's no words on the page at all it's all stage setting and scene setting and it's absolutely gorgeous from start to finish it was one of the things I missed while Lazarus was gone, actually. Now, the big question is, can you jump right into this without having read any other Lazarus books? First of all, you probably should. Second of all, you can jump in on this because they do kind of set the stage in the beginning of the book as well. They tell you what the book has been about. They give you a little bit of backstory about what's happened. So, yeah, you could probably jump in if you really, really wanted to. This is a poll for me. I can't wait to keep the whole Lazarus thing going. And Lazarus Risen, I think, a really good way to kick things back off after a short hiatus. Now, there's a little bit of bad luck, though, coming up in this next one because Dark Horse has released Bad Luck Chuck number one from Leela Gwen doing the writing, Matthew Dow Smith on the art, Kelly Fitzpatrick on the colors, and Frank Vitkovich on the letters. Now, the story actually follows... Tashi Charlene Manchester. Now, definitely call her Chuck, though, because if you don't, bad things might happen. And I mean that literally. Now, figuratively, of course, Chuck has very, very bad luck around her and uses it as a basis for a business, which is actually really clever. I mean, most people hire someone to make problems go away. This person you actually hired to make problems appear to help make problems go away or make things go your way. Now, in this first issue, someone comes to her to help get their daughter back from a cult. But it's, you know, it's never really that simple, is it? And something happens during this job that could really compromise Chuck's business as a whole. Now, if that isn't bad enough... It looks like someone might be looking into all of these bad luck incidents, and there have been several. Now, this is one thing I kind of have to spoil to talk about this book because I think it's one of the most interesting things about it. We're not talking about a police officer here. We're actually talking about an insurance investigator because, you know, when something burns to the ground or something, you know, insurance has to cover that. So an insurance investigator is actually part, a big part of this story. Now, have you ever had so much bad luck? that it actually turns into good luck because the circumstances surrounding what happens around Chuck are actually pretty entertaining in this issue and and especially how certain things are leading to other things and it just seems like Chuck never feels like she's in any kind of danger at all. I mean, she's so straightforward but almost annoyed at the fact that anyone could stop what happens around her. It's like everybody tries or thinks that it's not going to happen to them, and it does, and it's almost annoying for her. Now, I like the hook of who the villain is, although you could say villains based on what I saw in the story as well. Now, I mean, it takes such a much different angle I mean, with the whole insurance adjuster thing, and there might be a more grand picture to it, and then this particular job might also bring some more trouble into Chuck's life as well. We're sort of thrown right into the story, too. But it's a different concept that it's it's different this time because it's the concept that hooks you before you get hooked on the characters, or at least it was for me. Usually, you know, you want to you want to find out whether or not you like these characters, whether or not you want to follow them and root for them. For me, the concept was so interesting, and the story kept me so interested that I then d- didn't really I shouldn't say it didn't matter whether or not I loved the character because I did love the character of Chuck, but it made me hooked before 
I decided whether or not I like that character, and that's a tough thing to do. As far as the visuals for this book, definitely a little darker than what you remember from Matthew Dow Smith's work on Doctor Who, but a lot more like his work on Last Sons of America. You know, the Philip Kennedy Johnson book, who I've, what I've talked about, what, like a thousand times on this show. If you haven't gone and read that yet, you're going to want to add that next. You know, go get the trade. You will not be sorry. But I like the dark and gritty nature of this, even though to me it's a darker book, but it's very lighthearted in its execution in a way because of just the just the way the bad luck falls, sometimes literally, in this story, it was very entertaining for me, very, very funny, without really even trying to be funny. And that's the beauty part of a story like this. So this is another pull for me. This is kind of one of those things that it was such a different story, such a different concept, and, and a different angle on the villains as well, that it's almost just what the doctor ordered for your pull box if you're looking for something a little bit unique. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. Going to head into Deadly Class and talk about the season one finale on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Forget King's Dominion. Things are getting crazy on the streets. That's right. It's time for our spoiler-filled review of the season one finale of Deadly Class from Sci-Fi. Yeah, going to be a ton of spoilers here, and much like these battles that are going on, might be a little bit all over the place, but let's start with our wonderful group of Marcus and Saya and Maria and Petra and Lex and Billy who are about to go into Chester's compound to try and free Chico's head and try and cover up Maria's mess and Marcus's mess that they're both in. Now, there's a pretty large debate before they even go in about whether or not this is a suicide mission and why they're all there. And basically, Saya is the one that goes, hey, look. We're all family. Marcus and Maria are in trouble, and we're going to do this. What I find interesting is how quickly that tide changes after they actually get in there and do what they're doing. And I mean changes in a hurry. So I won't get into all the logistics of everything that's happened, but we do get to see everybody kind of do their thing a little bit, right? If you're a fan of the comics, we get to see Lex finally do his thing with ex- explosives. We get to see Petra do her thing with her chemical mixes and her poisons, which was really, really cool. I mean, really get to see her do her thing. We get to see Billy in action, and we finally get to see, and I'm not even getting to the whole Chester's family thing yet. How about the throwdown? I can't wait to talk about it. The throwdown between Saya. And Maria, it actually happens. It legit happens. And I'm thinking, really, ladies, you're going to do this now when you know there's hillbillies trying to kill you everywhere? You're going to fight each other? And that almost comes back to bite him really, really bad when that huge guy, huge bald guy comes in and tries to take Maria out. And then Saya saves her, and it's, it's a whole thing. But the battle between Saya and Maria was so intense and personal and epic. And I got to say, I thought that both ladies... Really, really brought it not only in a kick-ass fashion, but in an emotional fashion because it just you could feel just that raw, just hatred pouring off of Maria for Saya. And Saya was at the point where she's like, you know what? I've had enough. Forget it. And that's sort of when everything went right off the rails, didn't it? And I mean, as far as performances go, Lana Condor, Maria Gabriela DeFaria. I mean, my goodness, have they both, they've really both cranked it up. I tweeted this, I said that Maria Gabriela DeFeria has really cranked it up to 11 these last few episodes. Now, you can say the same for Lana Condor. It has been an absolutely amazing performance by both ladies, and in that fight scene alone, they're amazing. But I'll talk about the ending here in just a few minutes, because I want to go back to this whole throwdown that happens in this house. Of course, Chester didn't necessarily know that they were coming, but when they breached the door, they certainly knew they were going to be in there. They were all hiding on the inside, which was crazy, and then they just start jumping out like crazy hillbillies, you know, shooting stuff off, and there's there's knives and, and bombs and all kinds of stuff going off, and at one point, Marcus and Lex are hiding. No, it was Marcus and Billy were hiding in the fridge, wasn't it? And the pipe bomb goes off and, and kills one of the hillbillies. And the, the fridge seems unscathed. It's taking bullets. And I'm thinking, man, where do, you, where do you buy these fridges in the 80s? I don't remember having a fridge back in the 80s that was that durable. They tended to break down a lot more than you would think. I mean, I know that this was a rich person's house. But still, I want to know where they bought that fridge. Because I'm going to go buy one right now. It would probably still operate. 
at peak performance. It would suck the energy dry, but it would be nice and durable, wouldn't it? I, I, don't, I don't know why I spent so much time thinking about that. But Chester even says during this whole thing, when there's bullets flying everywhere, hey, don't kill Marcus. We've got plans for him. And that's certainly, we, we get to see that play out a little bit later on in the episode because Chester actually does get his hands on Marcus in all of the confusion. But, you know, everybody seems to kind of do their job. And surprisingly enough, everybody lives. That was a crazy thing. There was so much going around all over the place. The soundtrack, by the way, makes makes me want Rick Remender to make me a mixtape. Maybe I'll ask him next time I see him because, I mean, the, the music just went so crazy well with this entire episode, didn't it? It was so timely. It's, it's actually been the entire season of Deadly Class. It's been a great soundtrack to the whole thing. But when all of this is going on, everybody seems to, at least at the time, come out unscathed, right? But they also kind of find out how damaged that they really are mentally and how this whole experience kind of brought some of them closer together. Definitely brought Petra and Billy together. And Oh, man, I was so waiting for that moment where, you know, they would finally have that connection, right? Petra and Billy. And it just gets kept getting ripped away from us over and over again. And then when Lex thought he was dying, and he sees the, t- the two of them, and he throws his arms around them, and, you know, he's so happy to see them. That was another really cool moment, too. So they seem to have come together, whereas Marcus and Maria and Saya seem to be kind of drifting apart more and realizing just how damaged that they really are. Now, remember, Marcus created this whole Saya-Maria mess for himself. I mean, this is really kind of all on Marcus, isn't it? Yeah, you could throw some blame Saya's way, maybe even Maria's way. But he left Maria when she was in a wreck to go do this thing for the plan and then ends up, you know, hooking up with Saya in the process. So, I mean, put the blame wherever you want to put it. But Saya actually ends up bailing before things are all over. Maria, when when the dust clears, Maria's like, hey, we need to go find Marcus. And she's like, you know, you guys are toxic. I'm done. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you're bailing on them now? I was not happy with Saya at this point. Maybe you think she did the right thing. My opinion, she's the tag team partner that was the heel in the tag team match in the great WWE days of the 80s when it was still WWF. When, when you know, you, you go to tag your partner and, and the guy drops from the apron and walks back to the to the back of the arena, that's what it was like with Saya. They just kind of walked out on everybody and everything that was going on. And I'm like, really? you got to be kidding me. And it's not like she can go back to Master Lin because her bailing on him in the first place sort of led to what happened over at his house with Diablo. And I got to say, let me, let's switch gears for a second and talk about Master Lin. This guy, first of all, sees his wife get murdered in front of him and in front of his child, too, by the way. Fights off Diablo's gang, grabs his daughters, literally running down the street with his daughter in his hand, dodging flying bullets, and seems to know exactly where he's going because he's getting help a little bit along the way, too, which I thought was really interesting. You're under that much stress and under that big of a crisis, and you know exactly where you're going. This was before Google Maps, kids. Okay, this guy's running through the street for his life, and he knows exactly where he's going. That was impressive enough. And then when he finally gets to the point where he can start fighting back a little bit, he's fighting off Diablo's best guys by himself with his daughter still in the room. At one point, he catches on fire, and it still doesn't stop him. Benedict Wong, my goodness gracious, was amazing, and who knew that he could run like the wind? I had no idea that he was capable of that. Just watching him fly through this thing... I mean, Benedict, I, I need some I need some fitness tips from you, clearly, because you were booking it out there, my friend. It just goes to show you how much of a badass that Master Lin really is to fight his way through all of this and actually make it out of this alive. Yeah, he definitely gets a little bit of help, but here's the mistake that he made, and this was the one thing I was like, no, don't do that, is he went back to King's Dominion. I realize maybe he feels like he's got no other place to go. I get it. Where else is he going to go? But at the same time, it's like, you knew Gal was going to be there. And she ends up taking the daughter. And I'm like, no, why did you do that? And Master Lin's in no shape to fight her off. He's down and out on his own. It's hard to tell if he's even going to make it, which I'm sure he will. But... Oh, it's that that hurt me because you know he takes she takes the daughter and I'm thinking Master Lin is gonna burn the world to the ground 
going after his daughter. So that I'm sure that'll be something interesting to talk about for season two. But speaking of interesting things, what if Saya shows back up, sees what's happened to Master Lin? Now she's, first of all, got to deal with the fact that she was supposed to be there in the first place. Not that she would have been able to fight them all off on her own, because she probably wouldn't, wouldn't have. But at the same time, she would have been there to at least slow them down or, or maybe stop it just enough for them to get away or provide enough of a distraction. So she has no idea that all of this has happened. So now she's abandoned her friends. She'd already abandoned Master Lin and was part of the reason that what happened to him happened in the first place. So things not exactly great for Saya right now, unfortunately, if you're a Saya fan. But, you know, and then you've got Maria, who looks like she's breaking up with Marcus after everything goes down. And Marcus tries to talk his way out of things. When he's with Chester, Chester's doing his whole fake Donahue Hughes show thing, and he's actually talking his way out of it to the point where he's distracting Chester. And, you know, that was actually kind of, I don't want to say the least interesting part about the episode, because the fight was certainly interesting. But then you've also got the whole aspect of what's going on with Marcus and Chester. And Chester, you, you almost start to feel for him a little bit when he talks about how Marcus was his only friend, his first friend. Then you realize how much of a crazy dude that... Chester really is, and he was a really bad dude anyway. We saw that in the flashbacks earlier on in the season with Marcus. This was a bad dude before Marcus even did what he did to him. So I only, for a half a second, they kind of had me, and then my brain was like, wait a second, no, no, no. Chester was a horrible person before any of this went down. So don't feel sorry for him at all. As a matter of fact, uh, the animals sort of get their revenge on Chester, if you know what I mean. They, uh, They sort of take care of him. So Chester is done. And that's when the whole thing starts to happen with Maria and Marcus. They think they're going to get away scot-free. Not so much. Diablo's there. He sees the head. And who ends up getting shot in all this? Lex. Lex gets shot. Now, if you're a fan of the comics, this doesn't surprise you at all. You knew this was coming. This has been a show that has been very, very true to the comics, especially in its biggest moments. And I think that that is absolutely a testament to how this show has been. Not exactly like the comics, but really, really close enough that it's been a great homage throughout the entire season. But you see Lex get shot. This is a big spoiler. If you're a fan of the comics, he dies in the comics. So I don't, we, we, kind of a cliffhanger going into season two. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he dies. If he lives, though, that makes the story really interesting because then that deviates from the comics. And where do you go from there? So we don't know what's going on with Marcus and Maria. We don't know what's going on with Marcus and Sai. We have no idea where Sai is going. We have no idea what's happening with Master Lin's daughter, if she really is going to be going through the trials, if she really is going to be going to China, what's going to happen there with her. So, ah, oh man, it's just it, I just enjoyed the season of Deadly Class so much. It was just so intense, and it was so emotional. And it was like how damaged each one of them are for their own different reasons, and getting to see bits and pieces of all of their backstories really lent itself up and built things up to this finale. It was an amazing ride, this first season. I cannot wait for season two. I want to check a Twitter poll that I put up, though, at, at down and 757 and I said, who are you shipping the most from the Deadly Class finale? Who are you rooting for the most? And 63% of you said Marcus and Saya is who you're rooting for as far as relationships go on the show, so we'll have to find out what happens there on season two. So if you haven't seen Deadly Class yet, if you haven't even started it yet, just binge the whole thing on Sci-Fi's website. You won't be sorry because i got to tell you, as far as a true comic book book adaptation, this is about as close as it gets, and I loved every minute of it. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Care Of. Now that I'm 40, I was looking to get a little boost of energy, and Care Of sends you personalized vitamins and supplement packs right to your door each month. They're easy to take you with you on the go, too, which I really need with my trip to WonderCon coming up. And they're all there every day in one convenient little pack, so I don't have to go searching for all these different bottles of vitamins that I need to take. It was really hard for me, though, to know which vitamins I should be taking, but I took this really fun and quick online quiz that they had at TakeCareOf.com, and I got a ton of great recommendations with scientific research to back it up. They also had plenty of gluten-free options, which I need, plus options for other dietary needs as well. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code DNPOD50 to get 50% off your first month of Care Of Personalized Vitamins. That's DNPOD50 for 50% off what you need to feel more healthy. No matter how busy you are, 
you need to take care of yourself and your health. So if you're looking to avoid the con crud or you just want to maintain a more healthy lifestyle, start now. Go to TakeCareOf.com and get your care of personalized vitamin and supplement packs delivered to you today. That's going to do it for our spoiler-filled review of the Season 1 finale of Deadly Class. Up next, there's plenty of nerd news to tackle, and we'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Jason Hanwood from Superdog. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Don't put away that 80s soundtrack yet because we might have found the power of Grayskull. It's time for nerd news, and I say that because the rap is reporting that Noah Centineo may be cast as He-Man in the upcoming Masters of the Universe reboot movie. I say maybe because nothing's official yet. It's the whole in-talks thing at this point. So the script is going to be written, by the way, by Iron Man writers Matt Halloway and Art Markham. Now, that sounds like definitely good news. Now, here's the thing about Centineo, though. And I'm I'm going to say that name 16 different times until I get it right. So somebody tell me which the right pronunciation is, because I'm not quite sure. Now... He gained popularity on Netflix's To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which was very popular with fans. And he also has a role in the new Charlie's Angels reboot coming up. Not really announced just yet what that's going to be. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, you look at his, and, and you know what you're going to do. You're going to go to IMDb or Google or something, see what else he's been in. Not really a whole lot of action or action-adventure work on there. You know, but it's just, it leaves you scratching your head because it's not like an actor can't suddenly do one of these roles, right? But you, you thought that maybe you'd get somebody with a little bit more experience in the genre. Or, or, but And that's why there's no point in doing these whole, here's five people who could play role X. Because it just, it's a crapshoot at this point. And, you know, sometimes you find a diamond in the rough and maybe Noah Centeno is going to be that diamond in the rough and is going to be a great Prince Adam slash he-Man, this could this could happen. I mean, as far as the look goes, certainly seems to have the look. Physique-wise, I mean, how could anybody have He-Man physique, honestly? And it, it's really, honestly, it's kind of hard to tell, physique-wise, where this guy's at. But, you know, anybody can hit the weight room and bulk up. We saw, Look what Chris Pratt did to play Star-Lord. I mean, come on. if you You can hit the gym and get where you need to be. As far as the hair goes, please don't freak out about it. Can we stop? Stop freaking out about hair. Hair can be colored, okay? It takes five seconds. You know, put the tinfoil strips in there or something. Whatever you got to do, the hair is going to get done. I, I think we really need to stop worrying about hair in nerd culture because there are also wigs too, by the way. There's a thousand different options for hair. If you could take a mustache off a guy's face, albeit poorly, you can change a guy's hair with CGI if you had to, okay? So just let's not do the whole hair thing at this point. The question is, is how is this movie going to be and is it going to be better with Noah Centineo in it that it that remains to be seen I'm super excited for this because I've been a He-Man fan forever it was one of my first fandoms when I was a kid had all the action figures and everything so I'm pumped for this and I really want them to get this casting right and it's definitely not set in stone but again I just want the right person for the job okay if this, if he nailed his audition then I want him to get this role I want this to move forward but there's a lot more important casting also to go along here we still have Skeletor that we need to cast we have Hordak that we might be casting who knows about that there's so so many options that you could do for this Masters of the Universe movie. It's not going to hinge on just one casting. Albeit this is a big one, we have to wait until A, it's official, and B, we have to see what else is going to be cast around it. And there is plenty of time to get this together. Speaking of getting things together, Supergirl's done a pretty good job of that this season. But ComicBook.com reported in an interview session after a screening with the producers of Supergirl that Superman will not be appearing for the rest of this season on Supergirl, and neither will Lois Lane. Now, that might be a little bit surprising considering how everything went and the crossover and the play between he and Kara was really, really good. But at the same time, I mean, think about it. It makes a lot of sense that Superman's not going to be appearing in the season. If you saw, I know you saw Lex Luthor debut in the last episode, but I mean, fans might be disappointed, but there's already a lot of balls in the air in this show right now, and you just introduced probably your biggest villain yet in John Cryer's Lex Luthor, who was absolutely incredible. He was just so eerie, scary good as Lex Luthor, wasn't he? And I don't know if it was because 
you know, you don't really see that from John Cryer ever in some of his past roles, but he was evil. He was angry when he needed to be angry. He had that sarcastic tone about him that I just really, really loved. He just It just played so well as Lex Luthor, and he definitely had that I'm better than you air about him. And I just really, really loved that. It was so incredible. So why not just build on that for now? You've already got your established cast that either fans are going to love or not love. Now take Lex Luthor and prop him up. As a matter of fact, if you look at, you know, he might be working with Red Sun Supergirl at this point, right? So he might be part of that whole deal. It turns out that he's probably had his hands in everything that's gone wrong since, you know, the inception of National City at this point, So as far as Supergirl is concerned. So he could have been responsible for everything. Who knows? And you saw that from Lena. It's like Lex has his hands in absolutely everything. Now, and we also have to keep in mind is that so far, Kara's proven that she doesn't really need her cousin for a lot of these battles. She's been able to take care of matters, not necessarily on her own, but with her and her team. They've done a pretty good job at keeping the city safe or taking down these big threats. But could this be the one that just gets a little bit overwhelming for her? And the odds just be a little bit too tough once we get towards the end of the season and that brings Superman in. I still don't think we can rule out a Superman series at some point on the CW. I don't I don't think that that's something that we can rule out at all, especially the great chemistry that he had with Lois Lane in the crossover episode. So I know that this is a bit, bit of a bummer. We still got to deal with the Agent Liberty thing. I can't see that that's the way they're just going to get rid of Manchester Black either. That just seems too easy and too abrupt and too random. It was almost like, ah, we better get rid of Manchester because we had to focus on Lex Luthor now. I'm not sure it's really going to be that easy. We'll, only time will tell. Maybe you don't think it was easy. I thought it was just a bit abrupt and too easy. We'll see. So, I mean, it just seems like there's a whole lot going on. Don't really need to add Superman into the mix and, and muddle things a little bit here. I think that you've got plenty to go on now. You've got a whole lot going on with John Jones and the Martian Manhunter story as well after the whole thing that happened with Man- Manchester Black. You've got Dreamer to focus on. Brand- There's a lot to focus on. I'm not sure we need to add one more hero into the mix. So we'll see where Supergirl goes from here once they get back from their March Madness break. Now, it looks like Stranger Things has released a full brand new trailer. Of course, the show is going to be premiering Season 3 on the 4th of July this year. And it seems like there's a lot more fun and hope at the beginning of this trailer, right? As a matter of fact, that whole surprise welcome home for Dustin when he came back from camp was hilarious. Spraying people in the face with, I don't know what that was, if it was like bug bomb or Lysol or something. But that was really, really funny. And then you've also got, you know, Hawkins and fun in the summertime. And, you know, we see that Max's douchebag brother Billy might have gotten a lifeguard job and everybody's in the pool. And you got Steve in full good guy mode now. And he's got himself a summer job. And he and Dustin have really bonded, too. That might be one of my favorite bonds in TV right now. The way that Dustin and Steve kind of sort of bonded over their shared, uh, let's just say, troubles last season. I mean, it was just really incredible how they came together. Now, things take a bit of a turn in the trailer, though, when Mike, you hear Mike say that they're not kids anymore, and you almost immediately cut to a shot of Will, who is kind of distraught, and this is in a completely different scene in the trailer. And then that's when it has to click for you, right? That, wait a minute, that's not necessarily true for Will or Eleven, is it? I mean, basically, those two had their childhood for at least a small part robbed from them and continue to be robbed from them, right? Eleven with the whole experiments that were done on her and the fact that she was stuck in a cabin for most of season two, right? And just kind of sheltered away from everybody. And then you've got Will, who was in Demogorgon, who's been in Demogorgon hell for, you know, since the inception of this series. So while he's had more of a childhood than Eleven has, there's been a lot of trauma there. And not to say that there hasn't been trauma for the other members of the group, but certainly... I mean, you got to feel like there's not an equal footing here as far as what everybody's been able to experience. So we do get to see like Eleven going to the mall and stuff like that and how that is. But you see that dark turn happen. And we also get to see Joyce, who's clearly not feeling safe. And how can you really blame her after everything that happened with Bob and everything that's happened with Will and everything? And you've got Hopper, who's still trying to convince, seems like everybody, especially Joyce, that Hawkins is a safe place to be. And then you cut to dudes with 
guns and silencers. We got gas masks. Then you've got like Demogorgon 3.0 or whatever that huge monster was in the trailer. But at least this time they've really got a nice core group and they've got Eleven to help them deal with it. But it seems like Mike's the fly in the ointment of almost everything lately, right? And and I don't understand that. You know, he's got the the girl is back. He's got Eleven. You know, it seems like things are almost kind of getting back to normal for him. But it's almost like that he grew up. He grew up when everybody else kind of didn't. He grew up a little bit too fast, and maybe you feel like that's out of necessity, or maybe that's just sort of how things worked out for him. He put that on his shoulders. So I'm just interested to see how much fun and creepy balance we're going to have here because it feels like to me anyway that this show is going to have try and have a little bit more fun coming up in this season and I think that that's something that's been missing from a show that has been popular for being creepy and and crazy but it was also that camaraderie and that togetherness and that brotherhood and sisterhood to a certain degree that we saw from the characters that I think really made people love this show so I hope that we get back to that a little bit and get a little bit of a summer break in there, but I mean, we got to have that creepy factor, and I can't wait to see what the next chapter in that is and where they go now that they've almost closed the book on the initial part of that story. Where do you go in the next part of the story? And that's what we're going to find out, I think, in season three. Now, we also have Google getting into the gaming mix. They had a little conference and announced Stadia, which is going to be their new streaming platform. For gaming. Now, here's kind of the bare bones specifics. It's going to be cloud based instead of being forced to one console. They also say there's going to be no cheating or no hacks. We'll get to that in a second. Now, Google says that it plans to shoulder the load for a lot of the processing and the computing and the visuals and the hosting load to help prevent lag. Okay, I'll get to that in a second as well. They also say that they will allow full cross play. Now, first of all, let's start there. That's not up to them, is it? And we know this. It's not like Sony is just going to play nice with everybody just because Google says so. And maybe Google thinks that they can, you know, push that a little bit more. But I don't think that they've got a whole lot of experience in the gaming realm and how things work. And maybe they shouldn't work that way. But let's just face it. If you're a gamer, you know that that's how things work. And everybody's just not going to play nice just because it's the right thing to do for gamers. That's how gaming has gotten to the state that it's in now, really, with all these you know, with, with a crossplay not being allowed by Sony and you've got these loot boxes and all this other garbage that's going on in gaming right now, that we've gotten to this point because not everybody wants to play nice and not everybody not everybody wants to conform to what, you know, gamers really want. And that's where we've gotten here. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I also think that they're kind of, I mean, they are Google and you know they're powerful and you know they've got a lot of technology and, and speed and power, but they say that you know gaming shouldn't be relied on an on an unstable internet connection sorry it's gonna there's nothing you could do isp wise if somebody's just got a terrible isp or a bad connection there's still going to be problems there's not a whole lot you can do about that even if you try to port through their servers and try and do it that way there's you still got to rely on an isp and i can tell you my isp isn't always reliable all the time, sometimes at the worst times, and there's nothing I can really do about that. So I'm not sure where Google thinks they're going to be able to get around that. Now, I'm sure that there's a way for them to certainly help it on their end, but you, there's still going to be issues with an ISP no matter what you do. Now, as far as the no cheating and no hacking thing is concerned, it just sounds like a challenge for hackers. I'm a, I'm a big believer that hackers will find a way. And if you challenge them, that's when they really say, oh, really? No hacks? Well, we'll just see about that. Somebody's going to find a way. And I don't know how you eliminate cheating other than going on a banathon and just start dropping users. And Google's very quick to give you strikes. I can tell you that right now. Very, very quick to throw down the strikes. So I don't know what the punishment would be for said cheating, or they just think that they're going to be able to not have cheating entirely, which, again, just seems unrealistic. All this sounds great in theory. But when you get down to execution, that's when you got to wonder how this is really going to come off. And then you've also got them entering a world where there's already a ton of competition, not that they can't handle themselves, okay? It's still Google. They're still going to probably get some really good big titles on there. They'll probably even have a few exclusives as well. I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is, is that you're flooding the market right now. The market's already flooded in gaming anyway, what makes Google think that their cloud-based multiplayer gaming system 
with that is not based on one specific console, mind you, which is a good thing. What makes them think that that's going to be the platform that sort of pushes them over the top of everybody else? Because, again, I don't think that... I think they're underestimating how big the load can be. And maybe not initially it won't be because I think there's a lot of skeptical gamers out there that are wondering how they're going to pull this off. But if you give the game, if you give them the games, if you give them the catalog, gamers are going to come regardless and try you out. And they say that they're capable of going from hundreds of users to thousands of users at the drop of a hat, and it's Google. I kind of believe them, but I don't know that I fully believe them. And just like anything else in the world of gaming, when it first starts out, there's going to be glitches, there's going to be bugs, and how Google handles that and how quickly Google handles that is going to determine whether this is a great success or an epic failure. But only time will tell. It's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be talking about Happy Season 2 with Mary. That's right. Lily Mrojnik joins me next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Patrick Fischler from Happy on Sci-Fi, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I mean, I don't think it's too cliche to say that we're so happy that Happy is coming back on Wednesday, March the 27th on Sci-Fi, but we're really psyched to talk to Mary herself. It's Lily Mrojnik. Lily, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, season one was just so off the wall crazy. So how do you think that season two can actually top that? Oh, well, you just need to watch it and find out because it absolutely will. You thought, I mean, I don't, it could never have come out of my brain, but Brian Taylor is a crazy genius and uh, he just managed to top it over and over and over again. Now, we saw how things worked out for Nick in the fi- in the final episode of last season, you know, getting the family back together, and, you know, he's kind of trying to go straight maybe a little bit, but not much about what's going on with Mary. So how much will we actually learn about what's going on with her here in the season two premiere? We will very quickly, as soon as we see Mary again, learn what she's been up to, and things have definitely changed in her life. I don't want to spoil too much, but her life is a bit different at the moment this about six weeks after we last saw her i think that's about the timing it is for the uh premiere and her life is a lot different not just because you know her mom's dead and all that kind of stuff sorry to anybody who hasn't seen season one but a lot of other things in her life have changed yeah that's an understatement to say the least but you're gonna have to watch and find out about that now but to say that she has some unfinished business, though, heading into this season is really an understatement, I think. So from the looks of things in the trailer, you know, all strings are kind of pointing to Sunny Shine. So just how personal is this for her? Oh, it is. That's all it is. He was the top of the food chain. She knew that at the end of season one, and she's got her eyes on the prize. You know, she, I mean, we have that moment at the end of season one where we did get to um, see that she told him she was going to be there and waiting for him, and she was going to get him eventually. And so she's on a mission, and Mary on a mission is not something that you can uh, really change. No, I would not want to mess with her on a mission, that's for sure. No. No. Well, I mean, that's not it, though, because we've, I know the blue is in prison, but it seems like there's some unfinished yeah. business there as well, for sure. So how do you think Mary is going to react to the new blue if she eventually finds out? She's been on a different journey this season. She uh, she starts coming across things that she never would have necessarily encountered. So Mary that we met in the beginning of season one is not only is she different, but I think by the time we get to Blue and her finding out what's really kind of going on, her mind's a little bit more open than she would have been when we first met her. Interesting, interesting. A little now- less hard to believe. Well, yeah, well, given everything that's happened, I mean, you, you never know at this point. Now, it's another holiday theme exactly. this season. It's Easter yes. this time. So without spoiling anything, because I know that there's a lot to, that you could spoil, what was your reaction to some of the ways that the show put its own happy twist on the holiday? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> well, we have to twist it around and, and traumatize people because that's what we do here at Happy. So there's definitely, I mean, the very first thing you see in the premiere episode will kind of mess you up with the uh, religious aspect of Easter. Nothing is precious. So Easter will definitely 
twist around, you know, chocolate isn't necessarily chocolate and uh, bunnies aren't necessarily cute and fluffy and uh, take that as you will for the happy of it all. But I think even people who are open-minded to the crazy twistedness of our happy minds will still be a little bit shocked by the stuff that we've pulled out for a happy Easter. Yeah, you never really know what to expect. We're talking to Lily Mirajic, who of course plays Mary on Happy. Now, speaking of not knowing what to expect, you have some new cast members this season, most notably Anne Margaret. So what was it like working with her on the show and does it? What was it like watching her play such a different character? It's something that's so different than what we've seen from her in the past. Well, I have to say, unfortunately for me, I never got to work with her. She, we didn't have anything together. I was very jealous of uh, our fellow cast members who did. But she really, you know, she just is kind of balls to the wall. Like, I want to be her when I'm her age, you know? <laughs> but what's great is that we do take a bit of, it's not so far out of the Anne Margaret realm. There's the majesticness of her and the the musicality of her is utilized. So it's just a little bit more elevated into the happy genre, but it's still very much an Anne Margaret thing, I guess you could say. And that's actually was the coolest part for me to see because I mean she's spectacular. And you definitely can see Chris Maloney turning into a, you know, 13-year-old boy looking at her. Mm -hmm. And that's delightful to see. But she just, you know, if you took it out of context of happy, you might not be as thrown by it. But putting this legend in our world is such a treat. She's just so game. She's game for anything. I mean, she's done so much already that it's like, might as well add this to the resume, right? That's so awesome. What's it like, actually, because you have a couple more new cast members as well. You guys have already been doing this for a whole season, so you kind of at least know somewhat of what to expect. What's it like having somebody new coming on the set that has no idea what they're about to walk into? Well, you have to apologize to them first. <laughs> uh, they, they, so sorry for what we are about to put you through, but thank you for joining us. But people, because you don't get a lot of opportunities to... Just as an actor, you don't get a lot of opportunities to kind of go all out there and play these types of characters and live in this type of world. So what at least I found with um, our guest cast who come in that I work with, they're just kind of thrilled to be able to like do something totally different than anything they've ever done. And so that's always been kind of a treat. Everybody's just down to do it and down to go there and it's they, you know, when they'll for if it's someone who had been unfamiliar with the show and they've watched, they were like, "I watch it. This is crazy." And it's like, "Welcome to the party." We're just gonna keep <laughs> right. Going there. At least they had the benefit of like Netflix to prepare themselves, right? Exactly. Thank God. <laughs> Trying to explain the show to people is hard enough as it is, just because you're never gonna get across what it really feels like. So now that there is Netflix, be like, just just go take a peek. Totally. Oh, okay, I get it a little bit now. Totally, totally. Now that we, we we know that only Nick can see Happy, or at least we think that coming into the season anyway, but I can't help but wonder, if Mary had an imaginary friend that only she could see, what would it be, you think? Well, I think Mary's season one imaginary friend would probably be a lot different than Mary's season two imaginary friend. So let's play with the idea of season two, Mary. I think it's a bit, it's kind of a bit of a, characters not necessarily like a particular animal or something like that i'd imagine it being something totally opposite of her that's kind of in the same kind of dynamic of nick is rough and tumble and happy is just so optimistic but i'd say it's probably something from sweet childhood mary you know like a cuddly care bear or something like that no like i can only imagine what it's you guys are doing to, to like, care bears and be happy <laughs> <laughs> Now, Lily, before I let you go, anyone who's seen the trailer for season two knows that, yes, we do have a new Nick, but it doesn't seem like it's going to last very long. Now, we know how Mary felt about him before and his methods, but how do you think she's going to react to Nick's methods now after everything that's happened in this past season? Well, I mean, without trying to spoil too much, but that you do get after that first episode, I think Mary's a bit more understanding of Nick's past methods 
and maybe a little thrown by the lack of those methods now. You know, like you said, like how we ended it, he, you know, is changing a little bit. He's, he's got a bit of a more of a family now and he's, he can't really live his life as if it doesn't matter if I die in 30 minutes. So it's a little bit like a role reversal. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm finally here with you, but all right, where'd you go? I'm on the same page and you left me. So it's a little bit annoying for Mary, but once you kind of get Sax back into the swing of things, you know, that's like a duo you don't want to mess with. Absolutely not. But somebody's going to have to mess with them starting on March the 27th, this upcoming Wednesday. That's when Happy Season 2 is going to premiere on Sci-Fi at 10 o'clock. Make sure you check your local listings if you're not in the Eastern Time Zone. You can also catch up on Netflix, but you definitely want to go to Sci-Fi.com slash Happy. There's a whole bunch of great stuff up there as well. We can't wait to see what she's got up her sleeve. It's Lily Mirajnik. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks, man. One of the things I've always loved about Happy is how off-the-wall crazy it is, and that absolutely describes the season two premiere i got a chance to see it a little bit early you are not prepared and you do not want to miss what they're going to be doing on happy wednesday march 27th on sci-fi do not miss this one especially what's going on with mary i really do think it's going to be a journey for her and it was really interesting to hear lily morojnik talk about what's going to be happening and once you guys see the path that she's on beginning in the first episode of the second season i think it's going to be a really interesting one for her that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Lily Mirajnik for joining me this week to talk about Happy on Sci-Fi, and thanks to the folks at Sci-Fi as well. You can actually go back to hear my interview from Season 1 with Patrick Fischler, who plays Smoothie. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com, catch our past shows there, and also find out how you can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. Also follow us on social media, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Again, thanks to our sponsor this week, Care Of. Make sure you go into takecareof.com. Put in promo code DNPOD50, that's D-N-P-O-D-5-0 to get 50% off your first month of your daily vitamin packs. There's some other great stuff up there as well. It's a great way to be a little bit healthier on the go, so go support them as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.